Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. This is Palm Sunday, and of course you can see we have some palms decorating here, and this is the beginning of Passion Week. It's the week where the last week of Jesus' life, in fact, if you read the Gospels, anywhere from 30 to 40% of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are about this last week in Jesus' life and the significance of it. And it began with him riding into Jerusalem, they call it the the triumphant uh, uh, march, where he comes uh, marching into Jerusalem, Jesus does on a donkey. Uh, the people begin to shout Hosanna, and they begin to lay down blankets, and they put palms down uh, as he entered, and that was the, uh, fulfilled a prophecy that was in Zechariah, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, where the king of Jerusalem would come into, uh, the king of the Jews, the Messiah, would come into Israel riding on a donkey, and that was the beginning of that, that, that great and yet fateful week. Uh, that we celebrate in Easter time. So um, anyway, that's why this is here. And so it's just to help prepare our hearts for Palm Sunday and for the whole Passion Week and the Easter celebration. Um, We have been doing a sermon series uh, on our mission statement. We have been doing it for literally since the fall. Our mission statement is four phrases. We exist as a church to honor the greatness of Jesus Christ. And we want to do that by growing spiritually, by living authentically, and by participating in his purposes. And so what we've been doing uh, since the fall is taking each of those four phrases and doing a five-part sermon series to help clarify what we mean. What do we mean about honoring the greatness of Jesus? What do we mean? How do we grow spiritually? How do we live in an authentic way in this world? And then with this, we've, now we're in the last part which is participating in his purposes. And we've done the other four, so this is the last one. I'm extremely excited personally to, to, to be hit the, the finish line here. But we have talked about in participating in his purposes. Uh, the first week we talked about what was God's big purpose uh, you know, for, the, for creating man and for the earth. The second week we talked about the church. God's purposes are fulfilled in, as, and through the church. And God encourages us to be a participant in a local church. Uh, We talked about outreach, reaching out to others, sharing our faith. We talked last week about discipleship, the idea of helping one another grow in our spiritual life. And this week, I want to talk about a topic uh, that can be very abrasive to people. I don't want it to be, but it is such an important, crucial topic, I think, in our lives. I think as American Christians, it's a very, very important topic that we get this down and we get it right. Uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God around the world and here. And that is the topic of giving. The topic of giving. That's a way that we can participate in God's purposes is by giving. And um, there are, it's always kind of awkward to talk about this topic. And one of the reasons is because there's been uh, in Christianity several years ago, there was a lot of crazy teachings around giving. Uh, that was, you know, you give and it'll, you'll, you'll, God will bless you and give you back 
10 times as much, or actually it was like 100 times as much. They took some Bible verses out of context. They were very manipulative, and this was propagated, particularly by televangelists all over the place. And so what happens to pastors who just, for me as a pastor, I'm always reluctant to talk about this topic because you're like, I don't want to be in that category, but it's just so very important and so vital that we in this prosperous country as believers that have so much, we have freedom, we have a government that actually supports us to give. They will give you tax write-offs. That's just an incredibly unprecedented uh, advantage we have. I think it's important we maximize the opportunity we have as American Christians to give. And so I want to go through the Bible and give you just some background about giving and about what uh, the Bible teaches about it. There's a great quote from Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation. And he said that all Christians, all people need to experience three conversions. That one is the conversion of the heart. The second is the conversion of the mind. And the third is the conversion of the wallet. And he said, those three, these three don't all happen at the same time, and they don't happen always very easily. And so what we want to do is focus on having our wallets converted. So what converts somebody's wallet is not guilt. Guilt never converts anything. So let's look at what the Bible teaches about it. Look at the truth and see uh, what the Bible teaches and sort of kind of try to align our lives uh, with that. Now, in the Old Testament, when they talked about giving, it, the Old Testament giving um, surrounded an idea called tithing. Tithing is what they practice in the Old Testament. Now, let me give you a, back, a background on that. Have you ever, anybody ever heard the word tithing? I think y'all have. We, we think tithing means we just, we just give gifts to the church. Tithing actually, the word tithe literally means tenth. And it was a principle that is in the Old Testament of giving a tenth of one's income to the Lord. It started, if you read Genesis 14, with Abraham. Abraham, of course, was the father of the Jewish nation. And in Abraham's life journey, we can read about in chapter 14, there was this, this story where his nephew Lot was kidnapped by these kings, and they were bad kings. And these four kings uh, tried to fight against him, and they, or five kings tried to get, fight against these four kings, and they got beat. His nephew was kidnapped. So Abraham went after his nephew Lot, and he got about 300 men with him, and they went, and they conquered those kings, and he freed his nephew. And when he got back from this whole battle, he was met by a priest named Melchizedek, who was called a priest of God Most High. And Abraham bowed to him, and the guy gave Abraham some wine and some bread, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything he had. That's the first time in the Bible that happens. A tenth is given to this priest. Now, a few chapters later, there's a story of a guy named Jacob, who was actually the grandson of Abraham. Jacob is fleeing for his life from his brother. It's a long story. He is sleeping out in the wilderness under the stars on a stone. And that night he has a dream. And it's a famous dream. We call it Jacob's Ladder. He has a dream that a stairwell descended from heaven to earth. And we know that is a theophany. It is a picture of Jesus 
coming from heaven to earth and joining heaven and earth. And Jacob woke up from that dream and was like, wow, God is in this place. And he told God, he made a promise. He said, God, if you will keep me safe, keep me alive, and if you'll bless me, I'll give you a tenth of everything I own. So again, there's no law. God didn't ask Abraham or Jacob to do this. They just voluntarily said, hey, I'll give you a tenth of what I get. Now, as we get into Israel has an exodus, and they're forming a nation, and Moses is giving them the law, and there's a lot of laws. One of the laws that was there, not one of the Ten Commandments, one of the laws that's written in, in every one of the books of the, the first five books of the Bible is that every Israelite would give a tenth of their earnings to the Lord. And it would go particularly to the priesthood. It would go to the spiritual well-being of the community and those that were uh, involved in ministry. It was given to that particularly. They would give one-tenth of their income to that. And it was understood that they would bring this. They called it bringing the tithe, not paying the tithe. They didn't understand it as, a, uh, as something they just did. It was, it was, they had a, a, the, the idea was that that 10% of their income belonged to God. It was God's money. And they were just bringing them what was his. It was called the tithe, and that's how they understood it. And so that was practiced. And if you go through the Old Testament, you will find out they didn't practice that very well. They, were not, they didn't practice it very well at all. And there were a few occasions where there was a revival and they were being a reviving of this practice of tithing. And things would go great, but it would only go great for a while. They didn't practice it very well. They didn't practice it very often. And in fact, when the Old Testament ends, the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament, the next to the last chapter has a fairly well-known phrase where Malachi the prophet is talking to the Israelites and he says, you guys have robbed God. And they go, how have we robbed God? And they say, well, you haven't brought in your tithes. You haven't brought the 10% to him. And, they, and he says, return to the Lord by giving and see if God won't pour out a blessing. So that is how this concept is throughout the Old Testament. The idea of a tithe that, that you and I, if we were Israelites, would, would whatever amount of money we made, we would take the first tenth of it and we would bring it to the Lord. We understood that money to belong to the Lord. It was dedicated to him. Now, if you also read in the Old Testament, people were free to do something called bring offerings. And it was really cool. It's like if you paid your tithe and that was paid, you could, when you went to church, when you went to the temple for worship, you could bring an extra offering. And these offerings had different names. One was called a thanks offering. It means you just brought more than you had to to tell God thank you. I just want to tell God thank you. Here's an offering. You could bring what's called a fellowship offering. It was to just say, hey, I love being in fellowship with you. I love a relationship with you. And, and, and there was other types of offerings you would do, but they were free. You could do them if you wanted to or not, but it was way beyond what, was, what was, you were obligated to do. You were just doing this uh, out of gratitude or love or a desire to be in fellowship with God. That was the offering that was brought. So that's how they oriented their giving, was that way in the Old Testament. Now, when we get to the New Testament, 
You always want to think of the Bible, I think, in three sort of categories. Old Testament, Jesus and the Gospels, and the New Testament. And the Gospels are kind of a bridge between the two. Now, when Jesus came, he never talked about tithing except for one time. And you can read about it in Matthew 23, 23. He's talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And he was kind of challenging them. And he basically told them, hey, you guys tithe. Mint and cumin, you tithe every little minor amount of money you can possibly think of, but you neglect more important issues like faithfulness, like mercy, and like justice. And so he, and he said, hey, you should have paid more attention to these, but taken care of, still done this. So he, he really didn't put Jesus very much weight on tithing. He just didn't. He didn't say a lot about it, didn't talk a lot about it, except for that one time. But he did talk about money a lot. And what Jesus communicated about money is basically this. God wants to come between you and your money. That's what he taught. God wants to come between you and your money. And he said things like this. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll cleave to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And he encouraged generosity. He encouraged giving. He said, give and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. Jesus encouraged a life of generosity, a life of giving, a life of, of just freedom from miserliness and grasping to what we have. He encouraged generosity. You know, one time he said that um, when he talked about giving, he said that, you know, uh, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And for, for Jesus, when he talked about giving, it was more about heart than percentages or amounts. It was where is your heart at? Anybody here know how gravity works? You've, you've all heard of gravity? I, I've always heard of gravity, and I remember hearing this illustration on a tape I was listening to, and I thought, okay, that's really cool. It's a great illustration. But could you imagine there's a huge cellophane... Uh, right here. Now, what do you call it? Just a cellophane floor. Right here. Cellophane. Yeah, there you go. Right there. Now, and you put a bunch of balls on it. A lot of balls on it. What would happen if you put a, the heaviest ball? What would happen? The heaviest ball would sink, and all the other balls would gravitate to it, wouldn't they? Would, they'd be drawn to it. They would, they would sort of be uh, affected by its orbit. And this is what Jesus is teaching about our heart and about our resources. Is whatever weighs the most to you and I, everything, or, or giving, everything is going to orbit around. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is how Jesus oriented himself toward money. And he went on that. But then we get to the New Testament. And there's not a lot in the New Testament about giving. Not a lot at all. But there is one part of the New Testament that's two chapters long where Paul does write a bit about it, a lot about it. And I think it's kind of interesting to look at it. And that's in 2 Corinthians, it's chapter 8 and 9. And let me give you the background of this story. So here's what's happening. Paul is... Uh, going out and he is, you know, there's all these churches he started. And Paul, of course, Paul was a Jew. And in Jerusalem, 
the church in Jerusalem was going through a very difficult time financially. Uh, there, were, there was a famine. Uh, it was, there was a lot of need, a lot of poverty. And so what Paul did was he was really excited about this. He went to these Gentile churches he had started, and he was telling them about the need of Jerusalem church. And he was getting them and encouraging them to give an offering that he and his team was going to take to Jerusalem to relieve the pain and the financial suffering of that body of Christians. And he was super excited about it. And he was raising money in all these churches. Now, one of the churches he went to was a church in a city called Macedonia, where the, 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 city, the head of the city was uh, Philippi. We have a, a letter that Paul wrote to this, this church. And he went there, and they were very poor. That congregation was a very poor congregation. But Paul went to them, and they wanted to give. They were eager to give. They were like, we want to give. We want to give. We want to be a part of this. And Paul said they gave way beyond what they were really able to give. Way beyond it. And so he's telling this Corinthian church, which happens to be a much more affluent church, about these guys' generosity and about what they did and about how they're going to be involved. And then if you read this in 2 Corinthians 8, he goes through and he's talking to the Corinthian church and he says, guys, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. I want you to be great givers and excel in the grace of giving. And then he shares this one verse. It's in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and it's a basis that we ought to have as Christians for our giving. And he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. It's a very powerful thought. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was expressed this way. He was rich. He was God. He was very comfortable. But he became poor, he became human, he became vulnerable, he went through what he went through. That through that poverty, we might become rich. And he's saying, you know the grace of it, you know the grace, you know what he did. And, and he begins to build a case for them being givers and being generous with what they have. And he, he goes through, and I want to just pick up this in chapter 9, and start in verse 6. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase the, your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your, and through your generosity will, revolt, it will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs 
of the Lord's people, but overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of your service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them with everyone else. And in, your, in their prayers for you and your hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God has given you. Therefore, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, what he is doing here is talking to the Corinthian church, and he is encouraging them to be givers. He's encouraging them to have a heart that is generous, a heart that is generous. People always ask and say, Lee, do you think, I'll ask about this topic. They'll say, Pastor Lee, do you think tithing is in the New Testament? And I always say, it's not that I think, it's not in the New Testament. Like, it's not in there at all. There's nothing about it. And I think the reason that is is because giving in for a Christian is not about making an obligatory amount. I think all our giving is offering. All our giving is thanksgiving. All our giving is fellowship. All our giving is love for God. It is freedom. I think it's a great, I think it's great to practice that. I think it's a wonderful thing to do. But we should not give out of an obligation. We should give out of a love for God, a love for Him, a gratitude to Him, a desire to fellowship with Him more deeply and more, more earnestly. And this is what Paul's getting at. If you read this in these, these guys, he, he talks about in, in, in a verse Six, he says, hey, look, whoever gives so sparingly will reap sparingly. You, you, it's an agricultural thing. If you're not a giver, if you're not generous, you're not going to receive back. He's going, gosh, if you give sparingly, uh, you're going to reap sparingly. Each one of you should give as you're decided in your heart. And he talks about how to not give. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. You know, you should never do that. We should never be tight misers having, you know, our, our gifts, you know, forced out of our hands. That's not the way to give. And it really matters to God the way we give. It matters to God what's in our heart when we give. And he's saying, listen, I, it, the amount doesn't matter. How are you giving? Are you giving reluctantly? Are you giving under compulsion? Are you just being motivated by guilt? He's going like, yeah, I don't do that. He, and he says this, and it's a real powerful verse. Into this verse, verse 7. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. And what that literally says in the Greek is God enjoys an enjoyable giver. God loves and enjoys people that enjoy giving. What a powerful, powerful thought. God loves it. It energizes him. His emotions swell when he sees people that are generous, people that really enjoy giving, a church that enjoys giving. What a beautiful thing. What a powerful thing. What a, what a contrary thought to the world. To be, to be a giver, an enjoyable giver, a hilarious giver, one who likes giving. God loves that. God's into that. And he, he goes on here. I remember, uh, and he, well, anyway, let, me, let me share that in a second. If you go on here in chapter 9, he says, 
Verse 8, for God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now here's what he's saying there. God enjoys a cheerful giver. God's blessed by giving. And he's saying, listen, God will take care of you. God will bless you. You don't need to be, if you're giving, if you're cooperating with God in this, you don't have to worry about money. God will take care of you. I remember years ago when we had first gotten to Atlanta, my wife and I, and we were ministering at a young adult ministry uh, at a large church there trying to build that ministry up. And we took the young adults out and we were doing a service project and we just picked a random uh, street corner in Atlanta, a very bad area. And we went there and we went there with clothes and KFC. We gave away chicken, we gave away food, we, gave away, we had a great time out there. And if, if you walked out there, it was kind of wild. It was on a Saturday. I mean, there was needles and vials. It was a very rough area, very, very, a lot of homelessness, very, very rough area. And we were out there, and we were meeting people and, and, and able to get things away and feed people and have conversations. It was a fantastic uh, day. But my boys went with me, Daniel and Xander, who's, I think, up in the back there. They were with me. They were little kids. And when they were little kids, they loved one thing a lot. And that was this device called a Game Boy. You guys remember the Game Boys? And I, as a parent, loved Game Boy a lot because it was like a babysitter. It was a fantastic thing. We could take long trips and survive them without me losing it as a dad because they were just occupied with this game, this game Boy thing. And we'd buy them different games. And, and so we had them there. And, of course, they were, they were just doing their Game Boy. You know, they were observing and having a little bit of... But they were just playing their Game Boy while we were doing all this. And they were both on their Game Boys. And they were, they were just having a great time. What, what happened is this dad came up. Been through a rough time. He had two boys with him. Single dad. And we were talking to him about his story. He really admired this guy who was fighting for his kids ways I never would have had to. And I just an incredible man I got to meet. And he was telling me his story and... We were conversing, and our boys were playing, and they were letting the boys play with their Game Boys. And uh, as they were playing, both my little kids, I mean, they're like six, eight, nine-year-old kids. And yeah, you're that age, you're just... So selfish, you don't, you just, everything is about me, me, me. And they're playing, and they kind of realized, you know, these kids don't have anything. They don't have this. This is a, they don't do this every day like I do. And both my boys gave their Game Boys to those two little kids and all their little games. Now, I, as a dad, saw that. And it was not difficult for me to guess what I did the next day. 
I went and bought them another Game Boy. So proud of them. So touched that my kids would do this. Listen, God feels the same way toward you and I. The, the brand that should be on a Christian is that we're generous. A brand that we're givers. The brand that, like what Paul said, that if we really believe, we really, really believe that in Jesus Christ, God, who was rich, became poor, that through his poverty, we might become rich. That should affect my generosity. It should affect my soul. That should be the weight that everything else in my life gravitates to and around. You know, generosity emerges from three things. The first thing it emerges from is grace. Generosity emerges from understanding grace. When you and I really understand and believe grace, we will be givers. We'll be generous. We'll have a heart. When we understand grace, God comes between us and our money and our stuff. Because grace is way more priceless, way more impactful, way more liberating, way more significant than what I have and what I'm grasping onto. Grace, the first thing we do to convert our hearts is to understand grace. That's the first factor. The second factor is grace. Grace. And you know what the third factor that will turn you and I, convert our wallets, you know what it is? It's, it's grace. You're terrific. A bright audience. It's grace. Let me read the rest of this to you. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. What a powerful thing. You'll be enriched so you can be generous in every way. So you can be generous. On every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you're performing is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. What a powerful thought. He's saying this isn't just about meeting human needs. There's worship that arises. You're affecting people spiritually with your generosity. You're affecting lives with your generosity. This is where it becomes participating in his purposes. Is that people begin to worship God. They begin to honor God. They begin to think this, this thing we believe may be more and more credible than we, uh, as, as they see it affect, as they see grace affect the lives of Christians. And he goes on here, because of this service which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing them with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts go out to you because of the surpassing grace 
God has given you. Thank be to God for his indescribable gift. It really says his indescribable grace. Once again, I just want to close with this one thought. We've talked a lot about a lot of different things. We've talked about the principle of tithing in the Old Testament. We talked about how Jesus, when he taught, he taught about money a lot, basically taught that God wants to get between you and your money. And then Paul, after Christ has died in the New Testament, he looks back and he talks about grace and how grace should affect our hearts and, and create a generosity in our hearts that is powerful and compelling and brings honor and glory and praise to our God. And then Paul goes on and he talks about this, this idea in this last verse about those that are giving, how they're, they're, they're experiencing abundance, their righteousness, their people are praising God. There is a, a powerful effect on the generosity of a Christian when they're really generous. And he says it's a powerful thing. And he says it just causes glory to God. It's this rich, rich life. Listen, let me, let me close with this one thought. I want to tell you this. God wants to get between you and your money. And when he does, you'll love it. I promise you. When God gets between you and your money, you will love, love the life you live. I promise you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the grace of Christ. We thank you for what he has done for us. We thank you that you were rich, you were God, you were in this, I would think, a state of utter opulence, and you became poor. And it was through your poverty that we become rich. Lord, help us to believe that. Help us to live our lives aware of that. Help us to see the wonder and the value and the pricelessness of your grace and your mercy that we've received. And help us to live accordingly in all areas of our life, including with our financial well-being, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would build our financial lives around you and your kingdom and grace would affect how we do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.